Downloads of this show are available on Podomatic.com and the Podomatic mobile app. You are listening to Troubadours and Tours with E.W. Conundrum Demure on Radio Free Brooklyn. Welcome to episode 312 of Troubadours and Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. On this week's episode, we have playwright and performer, philosopher for certain, Eliza Bent. And we talk with Eliza about her stint at Elle magazine and then how she got into being a writer and a performer. Some of the regular themes that come up in her works about the parallel lives we live, regret, language, toilet fires. Oh boy, all kinds of good stuff in our conversation today with playwright, performer, philosopher, Eliza Bent. We have an EWSA titled Killer Mike and a radio play written by Dr. Michael Pavis, our associate producer, titled This is the Story of My Song, performed by April Holgate. We have also a poem titled Embroidered, and all of this, as is always the case, will be infused, imbued with the energy of several great tunes. It's so nice to have you with us. Let's get to it. Episode 312 of Troubadours and Rock on Tours.
Killer Mike. As the snow falls atop this mountain postmodern village I call home, I sit here and write this piece with the bright white illuminating my paper and pen as it travels through the clear glass window. The couch I sit in is up under. Killer Mike was streaming last night. He was rapping about white Jesus to folks in an upper crust nursing home in Atlanta. One woman he spoke with insisted that black people are responsible for most of the crime in the United States. Killer Mike attempted to be rational with the use of statistics, and the woman backed up her battery-powered scooter and got the hell out of there, back into the safety of her cocoon. I hear the songs of morning birds as the snow continues to fall on this early springtime adventure. Just sitting in the privilege of my home, trying to avoid becoming a drone, though the collective buzzing sometimes is soothing and seems safe. Why am I here in this place, coexisting in this time and space with all of these people? Does white Jesus have the answers? Can he comfort me from my curiosity so I too can claim victory in a sanctity of mediocrity, soothed quietly into a steady comfort by a soliloquy, humming a promise of contentment in a sort of bumbling bee colony, reapportioned to serve humanity? It is calling for us to give in so we can finally be happy. She means she says I ought to know. Kenny says she's made arrangements for me in the sand. Kenny says she wants me with a down in candy land. Kenny says she wonders why we try. I'd like her where she is She says it's an opportunity That I don't want to miss Candy says she's made a reference For me in the sand Candy says she wants me With a down in candy land 
Linda says she wants me with her down in Candyland. Eliza Bent, is that you? Good evening, E.W. <laughs> <laughs> it's so nice to have you on Troubadours and Rock on Tours. Really glad to be here. And uh, before we get started, I'd like yes. to share a little background information with the listeners, if you don't mind. Not at all. <clears throat> Eliza Bent is a playwright and performer based in Brooklyn, New York. Ms. Bent's plays have been developed and presented in productions, readings, and workshops at the Abrons Art Center, Jack, Clubbed Thumb, The Atlantic, and The Bushwick Star. She is a former senior editor at American Theatre Magazine, a frequent collaborator with Nud Adams, and guest artist at the Great Plains Theatre Conference, and an adjunct lecturer in creative writing at Brooklyn College, where she received an MFA in playwriting. Eliza grew up in Brookline, Massachusetts, in a turn-of-the-century apartment. <laughs> Childhood obsessions included penguins, the post office, and requesting timetables and route maps from airlines. She got a degree in philosophy at Boston College while performing in shows at MIT. She speaks Italian and sometimes longs to be a linguist or a stand-up comedian. Troubadours and Raconteurs is happy to have on the program Eliza Bent. So, thank you for taking the time out to talk with us. Wow, thanks for that uh, introduction. You really uh, went far down on my website bio. I did. I, I read it over <laughs> a few times, and yeah, it's it's Great. fantastic. Nice, nicely done. Oh. Uh, so l let's hear a little bit more about your background, if you don't mind. Sure. Um, like, how did you come to where you are, basically, your journey? My journey. Uh, let's see. Well... I grew up in Brookline, Massachusetts, and I always really loved theater. Um, 
and I really liked performing in plays. But when I went to college, I uh, got very distracted by philosophy. And so I was a philosophy major. I really wanted to prove my mettle as an academic. Um, and so I just uh, really like poured myself into philosophy. But upon finishing college, I um, lived in Italy where I taught English and I took an acting class um, and I kept telling myself that I was taking that acting class to improve my Italian when in fact it was really just because I like theater. Um, and so it was in that acting class that uh, the teacher was like, um, what are you doing here? You obviously really like theater, you like acting, like you should just go do theater in New York, like you are from America. And so, um, where, where, what city were you in then? I was in Rome. Rome. Um, I took the acting class in Rome and I had done like a semester in Parma as well. And it was something about hearing like somebody say, like, he basically said, like, you have to honor this part of yourself. Like you're not really going to be doing, you can't really do theater here in the way that you could do in the U S like you speak English without an accent. Like your Italian's really good, but you always have an accent. And so, um, yeah, so I moved back to New York or to the U.S. and then I got a job in New York, and um, I started to just act in different plays with different friends. And I took improv classes, and I was on an improv house team at the Pit. Uh, and then, and then I began to write plays. So. And so now, are we talking uh, in your twenties and thirties? All of this is happening. Yeah, in my 20s, I was living in Italy, came back to the States, moved to New York, began to do these plays, really like, you know, I had like a very sort of hustle and bustle job um, when I first moved to New York working at Elle magazine um, as an editorial assistant. And then, so it was hard to like do projects outside of that job Um and then when I began working at American Theater, it was a much more sort of staid atmosphere. And I was really able to embrace my after hours with, <laughs> with various plays and improv shows and things of that nature. So, yeah, this was all like in my sort of mid, mid-ish mid 20s, I would say. And now you're in Brooklyn and you're, you're – uh, so you've been – And I'm no longer in my mid-20s. <laughs> what was that? I'm just—I was joking how I was no longer in my mid twenties, <laughs> but yes, I'm in Brooklyn. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I don't. I don't want to. You know. I guess. Uh, I. I will get to you. I, I would imagine you're in your thirties now. I'm guessing. I'm thirty-six years old. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you've you've done a lot already. You know, it seems to me you, yeah. your undergraduate degree and um, you're you're uh, traveling and uh, did you get a, a graduate degree as well? I did, yeah. I got my graduate degree um, at Brooklyn College, where I teach. Creative uh, writing. Uh, playwriting. Playwriting, excellent. And and now we um, we see you putting your shows on stage. And I guess the next obvious question for for me is what what are you writing about? Where are you coming from? What are you trying to make sense of? Or what are you trying to communicate uh, with your fellow humans about? Oh, boy. Um, 
I would say that like, you know, different plays have a different sort of scope or goal. Like the first play that I wrote was very much inspired by time I had lived abroad and the idea of translation was a pretty central idea that I was interested in exploring. And so I wrote this play set at a hostel in Rome where the characters spoke in a kind of like demented translation from direct Italian to English translation. So instead of saying like, what the heck are you talking about? A character would say something like, what the dick do you say? (laughs) Um, Or like, instead of I have to check my email, I must control my email. Um, So yeah, so that was like one project that had a really like formal language conceit at play. Um, But then other plays of mine have had very different approaches. Like this recent play that I did called Bonnie's Last Flight was set on an airplane. And I was really thinking a lot about the idea of like the parallel lives that we kind of live in our heads sometimes. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, just like the notion of regret and what retirement kind of feels like. And uh, so that was, those were some of the bigger ideas in that play. And that play had a very kind of experiential quality because the audience was the passengers on the plane. Oh, neat, neat. Yeah. And when you, when you go, going back to um, language, you, you know, you, we were, I was reading in your bio that you wish you maybe could be a linguist sometimes. And, and uh, it seems to me you are fascinated by, by, language what why do you think that is what what is i mean it's an to me it's an obvious answer that i if someone asked me the question but i'm wondering what you would say why is language so important well what's your answer well i mean <laughs> it's the best we can do at at uh trying to connect with other people and also in our own little worlds and, and inside of our heads try to make sense of what we're experiencing it's the, it's the best we can do is the be- they're, they're like the tools that we have sure yeah i mean i feel i'm kind of forever haunted by this quote of um the philosopher ludwig wittgenstein mm-hmm. and it's like that which we cannot speak we must pass over in silence and so i feel like you know language is always always fails us in some way or another and then there's always you know when language does a good job it's great and can be so fun but it's it's a slippery i think thing yeah and <laughs> it, it is I, I totally understand where you're coming from yeah um and, and though if you love it, you keep trying to find oh, an, another way, a better way. And there's so much beauty in failing and failing and failing forward with trying to express these kind of, you know, ineffable ideas or uh, lofty um, concepts. I think you know it's interesting. Like I often think about like when I when I when I lived in Italy and was speaking Italian every day, I sometimes felt like I, even when I would get frustrated about not knowing a word or tripping up on like a grammatical phrase, I did feel like I had a pure, a more pure mode of expression. Mm. Like I was a more pure version of myself because, 
I wouldn't get tripped up in these word circles or like I, I kind of had to be more direct in certain ways. And, you know, the pleasure of speaking English as a, you know, mother tongue person is that you get to, you can really flex your word muscles, but that can also create havoc in interpersonal relationships, I have found. <laughs> how, how so? You have me curious. How so? How does it create the havoc? I think it can just create a kind of havoc. I think we should just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think it just it can be tricky when you care about someone to express sort of I don't know, well, like important things. Or if you're mad at somebody, you don't want to immediately go to horrible words. You want to sort of cushion things, but then it can it can prompt you to then not be as direct as maybe you should be in a, a given circumstance. With all those choices. Indeed. Of words. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. You know, I remember there was a time when I was um, in, in southern France and I was traveling around and I don't know how to speak French. Uh, and you know, dommage. I, I was, I was so, uh, focused on what little I had to work with, to communicate with the people I was uh, spending time with. And it was, it was really, it wasn't as frustrating as it might sound. It was very exhilarating because the connection mm. was so deep and so intense and so earnest <laughs> between myself and whomever else I was trying to talk with or communicate yeah. with. Yeah. Oh, it's completely exhilarating. And it's, it's so, it can be so, um, there's nothing quite like the delight when you figure out a way mm. to say something, even though you don't know one essential word, but you can kind of create a loop around it to get to your point. Like that's, there should be some word for like the, the feeling of satisfaction when speaking a foreign language <laughs> and um, making yourself understood. Yeah. Yeah, that, and somebody just fills in the word for you, but you've already gotten you know to that concept or, or to the point. Well, when you're when you're writing a play and you're trying to um, say you're in that zone, I, I, you know, I, I do a little writing myself too, and sometimes you just go off, you know, where you're you're almost outside of yourself or your medium, whatever you want to call it, and and these things come come out and, and they sound so good to you it's like you hit something and, mm. then, and then you go back and sometimes you realize it's total you know crap but other times you look at it and you're like oh my god it's, <laughs> as, good, it's as good as i thought it was you, <laughs> you know have you ever had that happen i'm sure you have and what and when when that where do you think that comes from well that's a great question i feel like the the feeling of like, wow, that really is as good as I thought, that rarely happens for me. Because I think I always, there's always some doubt. But it will be sort of mediated by somebody saying, oh, that one section really, like, you know, touched my heart. Or like, oh, that one paragraph, like, oh, it's so good. Like, And if, if enough people say that, then I maybe I'm a more want to believe it. But yeah, I mean, it can be the other end of that can be such, can be so painful when you hear something that's bad or if it's, you know, read the wrong way by, by an unwitting actor. Well, yeah, I've talked to uh, several playwrights over the years and, and that's always, 
something that comes up. When, you know, you're the writer, and then you're sitting there, and the director is in charge. And if the actors aren't maybe doing it the way that you think it should be done, mm. it, it's a tough situation to be in, perhaps, right? Uh, yes. Yeah, and I think that's maybe what you're, what you're alluding to. But let, let's get more specific about sure. some of the shows that you, you have been working on. You know, you mentioned Bonnie's Last Flight, and yep. there's another one, Toilet Fire. There's the Beyonce. Oh, um, yeah. Now, Toilet Fire, that, you know, that, uh, that compels me. <laughs> what, can you tell us a little bit about that? Toilet Fire is my most polarizing piece to date, I, I have to say. Um, yeah, the... the title really kind of it either allures people or they just want to run screaming for the hills but toilet fire um was a sort of solo ish show it was mostly me yammering on but there was another actor playing the piano and uh yeah interacting with me at times but the idea with that is um it's sort of set up like a a kind of religious service and so the structure was very much inspired by the structure of a catholic mass and as for me as somebody who has experienced various digestive woes in my life um i had a lot of source material to draw on and so i decided to create this kind of digestive ritual or mass for people who also suffer from um digestive ailments but also physical ailments or emotional pain um and so i played a bunch of different characters kind of conducting and leading this um digestive mass uh at a blurch as opposed to a church uh <laughs> and then there are also sort of trappings of judaism laced throughout the piece that kind of um touched on some of my background as well and the uh the kind of final third of the piece, I take off my wigs. I just am wearing a regular uh, contemporary person outfit, um, not in character, just sort of the character of myself. And I explain why digestion and religious identity are very linked for me. And um, and so that was sort of that. That's sort of the the, the description of the show. Digestion and religious identity are very linked. Yes. How so? Well, E.W., if I may. Wait, may I ask more about your name? Sure. Where did E.W. Conundrum uh, come from? I, I just came up with it. Um, it yeah, E is enigma and uh, W is wrapped and then conundrum. And I, I think it. Pretty, and then demure. And then demure. Yeah. <laughs> Enigma wrapped conundrum demure. Yeah, it's great. I have a friend who I call demure and demanding. Oh. Um, this particular friend is a triple Leo, and so the method of their de- demureness and demandingness is very amusing. Oh, I'd love to meet this friend. It's a- <laughs> uh, yeah, you should interview them. They're a poet. Oh, um, but thank you for thank you for the interest in, in uh, my name. But uh, oh, I'm always interested in in other alternate names and and identities. 
And are, are you trying to get away from my question? The digestive? Well, sure. It's just sort of, <laughs> you know, it's sort of a drag. I don't know. I, you don't, I mean, you don't have to if you don't want to. I'll tell you. I'll tell you. I mean, I wrote a show about it, so it's not like you're going to see the show because the show already happened. Um, well, we talk about religion a lot on this program, you know, and it's good. It's good. Do you? Yeah. Yeah. Not, you know, we're not... And I mean, I'm not religious, so don't think I'm going to get offended or something. Maybe you are, and I'm offending you. I hope not. Oh, no. No, No, I mean, it was interesting because the play, for me, the play was very much um, a loving, uh, very loving send-up of uh, characteristics of the Catholic Church, characteristics of Judaism. But it did actually offend a few people. Um, Or, you know, one person, uh, a friend of mine who's a professor said, I can't possibly take my my students to this it's it's blasphemous for for some of my students you use uh, you know you hold up a roll of paper towels and you pretend it's a torah <laughs> it was mm-hmm. saddened to hear that but also you know everybody has a different relationship to to things um but that cer- certainly my intention wasn't to offend people but the idea for me with digestion and religion was that as i was doing all of these digestive writing explorations I found I kept kind of going back to different parts of my like religious background and I'm from Brookline Massachusetts my parents are both practicing Catholics and I was raised Catholic but the town that I grew up in had a really strong Jewish presence and I felt like I sort of absorbed different cultural aspects of Judaism as a youngster and it's gotten me in a bit of trouble at times in my life because people will assume that I'm Jewish or they'll ask that I'm Jewish. And I, you know, it's like you, you can't really say like, yes, but not really. Or no. I've always sort of had to hesitate when answering like, well, what are you when it comes to religion? Um, and even though I was raised Catholic, it was always sort of uh, not a secret, but just not something that I really spoke about freely uh, in, in my peer group, um, because it just so happened that, you know, in my grade or whatever, there weren't other Catholic people. Um, so yeah, I, uh, when I went to college, I went to a a Jesuit, Catholic Jesuit university, Boston college. Mm -hmm. And it was this really like surprising revelation of like, Oh, now I'm finally with other Catholic people, but we had nothing, we had so little in common in terms of like, what our reference points were or, um, you know, senses of humor. There was just a very different, like, aesthetic vibe that I was surrounded by. And I found myself gravitating toward just uh, people that either weren't Catholic or might have Jewish backgrounds. And it was like, where are my people? You know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. I found, at least for me, I found my people were mostly in the philosophy department. Um, you are listening to Troubadours and Tours with E.W. Conundrum Demure on Radio Free Brooklyn. But yeah, and so so both there's like shame around like passing for Jewish. Like I don't I don't feel proud of the fact that I have, you know, at various times in my life passed for being Jewish. And I also don't, um, you know, I think it's like it's a strange thing to be a Catholic person in the contemporary world. That the church has obviously been riddled with um all kinds of just heartbreaking scandals um and so yeah it's talking about that but also how you know at at its at its best at its core religions are kind of you know the idea with them is to 
relieve a kind of suffering and how, and I had this experience um, at a church when I was doing research for the, for the play that was a little bit, uh, in a, a moment of grace, a kind of transcendence where I heard this song that they sang at the church and I was very moved by it. Um, and it was this old song that I'd known as a kid, but kind of hearing it recontextualized and thinking about how it might relate to um, some of my, you know, physical symptoms with the stomach problems that I have. It was um, quite quite a remarkable moment that I that I lived. No, it sounds it. It sounds it. Thank you for explaining that. Sure. Eliza Bent on the program, Troubadours and Rock on Tours, playwright, among other things, a philosopher, uh, <laughs> aspiring linguist. And uh, I want to ask you, uh, we kind of led to this place. Do, do you believe... You know, uh, there is a place for art in social and political change, or should art not go there? Hmm. I'm curious. I I was interested in that question in our email correspondence, and I was I. And this isn't me trying to avoid it. I am just genuinely interested to know more about how that question is kind of in context for you. Well, I, I guess for me, the reason I ask it is uh, uh, most of the folks that I do dis- discuss or ask this question to are in some way involved in the arts, obviously. And, mm-hmm. and, and some, some artists don't believe they should go there. Um, and, and there are those who believe that they should so I'm first wondering, you know, where you are on that uh, spectrum, and then if if you you know, depending on how you respond, I want to I want to ask you why, you know, and and how mm. do you, and how you do it, or how do you st- avoid doing it? Yeah, I I I kind of I again kind of feel like different projects call for different things. Um, I'm working on this play about the MTA, and. Um, there's a lot of like social and political themes that fit into making a play about the MTA um, in terms of both like the, the history of the MTA accessibility, who is able to ride the MTA, who has a, a much more challenging time. Um, so like that feels like very overtly political and some of its messaging and questioning Um around civic engagement among other themes something like bonnie's last flight felt really like apolitical i and i guess so i'm answering this question i guess kind of in relationship to some of like the projects that i've worked on something like bonnie's last flight was very much a comedy set on an airplane talking about like you know death and regret and you know fear of like one's own mortality but it's interesting because, like, an artist that I know, there was a part in the play when everybody, after everybody had been handed a snack, we had a Biscoff cookie donation. Um, <laughs> everybody got a little emotional landing card that said, like, I am ready to let go of. And then there was, like, a, a big blank space. And so people got these little index cards and a little pencil. And they were invited to let go of some kind of emotional baggage, whether that was a garage or some kind of hurt or fear. And it was really interesting, like, what people wrote down. Like, a lot of people wrote down jokes, like, I'm ready to let go of 
President Trump or I'm ready to let go of like, you know, this fart I've been holding in all play long or whatever. But other people wrote down really sort of serious major stuff like I'm ready to let go of my fiance. I'm ready to let go of guilt about my mom. I'm ready to let go of my crippling social anxiety. Um, and this artist that I know who saw the play was like, just emailed me today saying how she has, was really inspired by that and has been letting go of a lot of stuff. I think she's just been doing like a, like a spring cleaning. But I was really, I found that kind of like fascinating. And I, so I feel like, I don't know if that's political, like somebody getting rid of their emotional baggage. I don't know. It's social change, I think, in a way. But I think, but it really, I mean, it's definitely a kind of social change because she, that's what she said in her email, like that I, you helped change my perspective. And I was, I was just, I was really, I don't know, blown away because I'm just glad that she liked the play and that she came. But, you know, the fact that anything, anybody takes anything else from it is just, so remarkable to me. So I guess to answer your question, I think that plays and, and art certainly can have that role, but it doesn't always have to have that role. But it, I think it very often does have that role. I agree. I agree. <laughs> um, you know, we're almost out of time, believe it or not. We have a couple of minutes left, and I want to give you an opportunity, Eliza Bent, if uh, you'd like to share with the listeners where they might find out more about what you're doing and, uh, you know, how, how to uh, maybe check out some of the, the uh, productions that are coming up that you're going to stage and such. Sure. Um, people can poke over to my website on the Internet, elizabent.wordpress.com. Uh, it's an old-fashioned website. Um, but usually I, I put up stuff uh, that's upcoming on that on that website or people could email me if they want to be added to my my list um i send out an email whenever i have like a project happening but i have a this my mta project will have some showings um at the start of may at the flea theater so people can come to that and it's a work in progress and um, it'll be part of this mixed bill with a company called hook and i um, and so it'll be me and another artist named Roger and then the Hook and I folks doing these um, different work in progress showings. And the Flea Theater is uh, what uh, borough? That is in the borough of Manhattan borough in of Manhattan. the neighborhood of Tribeca. And MTA, we're talking about public transportation in, in Manhattan. MTA in all five of the boroughs. All five of the boroughs, okay. Yeah. Uh, excellent. You know, I... I wish we could talk more. You, you're definitely a philosopher. You know, it, it's, oh. it's, there's no doubt that, that you're a philosopher. We it takes a, a conundrum demure to point that out. <laughs> oh, oh, thank you. Thank you. I too have been described as enigmatic. <laughs> I like it. I like it very much. I'd love to have you on the show again. And uh, thank you for taking the time out this Oh, going. what a pleasure. Thanks so much. Take care. You too. I've got no sacred holy cow No pretty ruby mouth to smile and charm me through I've got no clever silver tongue To flatter people into doing what I want to do No, I'm 
This is the story of my song, performed by April Holgate, recorded at the Old Brick Theater in Scranton, Pennsylvania, courtesy of Diva Productions. Hey everyone, thanks for coming out. So I just finished this song last night. Yeah, I know. So I didn't even really like, you know, like know how it is or how good it is, but I'm singing it anyway, okay? Anyway, this is the story of my song. It's a breakup song, of course. Yeah, I know, right? We've all been through breakups, right? And they're never easy. And this one wasn't easy. So, I was going out with this guy named Kurt. Cute, long hair, slim, but not skinny. He was an artist, a painter, a poet, a potter. Although I never saw him making any pots or cups or ashtrays or statues or anything really. And we didn't even have a kiln. I never asked him about his pottery because I knew if I did, he'd get real quiet for the rest of the night and then put in his earbuds and sit in a corner and sulk until I came over with tea in a ceramic mug that he didn't make really nice mug it has stars on it he'd do that whenever i asked him a question he didn't want to answer he was very sensitive moody really 
He was an artist. <laughs> so am I. But I'm not moody. Or at least I think I'm not moody. In any case, he said he was a potter and a painter. I saw one of his abstract paintings, and it was about suffering, I guess. I didn't really get it. He did that one a long time ago, and I never saw him paint. And I read some of his old poems, but he didn't seem to write much or ever. Hmm, whatever. I met Kurt right after I broke up with Jennifer. I've been by since Girl Scouts. I know, right? I don't define myself by my gender or my partner though. I consider myself pansexual. Jennifer was beautiful and she was an artist too. We were together for a while and then she met Chuck at an open mic night. Chuck's an alt comic. He tells strange stories about his mother. I never thought he was funny, but Jennifer laughed and laughed. He's so real, she said to me. He was real all right. Jennifer dumped me for Chuck and they moved to Portland. I mean, come on, Portland? I was pretty broken up when Jennifer left me. I was in a dark place for a while. Later on, I'll play a few songs that I wrote about her. And then I met Kurt. We were both at the co-op and I was picking kombucha and he was buying fair trade macadamia nuts. We ended up in the tea aisle and we both reached for the black chai at the same time. Our meeting seemed faded. I know, right? We started talking about tea and about art and about politics. Kurt's an anarchist. And oh, about everything. One thing led to another. You know how that goes. For a while, it was wonderful. I know how that is. You know how it is too. Lovers at the beginning of the relationship. Then one rainy afternoon, I was making tea and I really wanted honey in my tea. And Kurt saw me pouring a teaspoon of honey from the little container shaped like a bear that I kept hidden in the back of the kitchen shelf. He's a strict vegan. And I knew he'd be upset if he saw me pour the honey. And he did. And he was. What about the bees, Marigold? He asked me. With that frown he put on his face whenever I asked him about his painting or his poetry or his pottery. What about the bees? Oh, Kurt... I said, I want honey. Oh, Marigold. He kind of tut-tutted, oh, Marigold. And then he went into the bedroom and played a mournful tune on my recorder. He did that whenever he was sad, and he never asked if he could use my recorder. He couldn't really play it, so it was mournful and kind of awful. I mean, he was sad about the bees, but still, you know... After that, things got progressively worse. So our love story began and ended with tea. And honey and bees. But it wasn't about the bees, was it, Kurt? It was really never about the bees. I found out that Kurt had been texting a barista from our local coffee shop, Juan? A tattooed barista. I mean, what a cliché. I understood, though. We broke up. 
our breakup wasn't about the honey. And it wasn't even about the barista. It was about us. I thought we clicked. I guess we just didn't click. One day, when I was at my retail gig at Walgreens, gotta pay the bills, you know. Kurt filled a knapsack with my jar of macadamia nuts, my recorder, and a few of my favorite books and moved into the barista's van. It hurt for a while. I stopped going out, stopped writing songs. I'd stay in and cry, hug my cat Chelsea, and drink tea with honey until the bear container was empty. But I moved on and started playing out again, and one night after a show, I met someone, and she's here tonight. Hi, honey! I've forgiven Kurt, and this is a song about love and forgiveness. It's called Utah, and I hope you like it.
Embroidered. Spring tulips in a vase on a wooden table that is covered with an embroidered cloth. Next to the vase sets a crusty loaf of French bread, right there on top of the embroidered cloth. Crumbs. A hand stretches to grab hold and pushes over by forearm a crystal glass filled with wine.
There you have it, episode 312 of Troubadours and Rock on Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. I'd like to thank those folks who made this episode possible. First and foremost, playwright, performer, philosopher, Eliza Bent. Our associate producer, Dr. Michael Pavis. April Holgate. And these musical artists, Stefan Grappelli, Django Reinhardt, Mink DeVille, Morphine, Luther Dickinson, and the Sisters of the Strawberry Moon, Annie DeFranco, War, Terrence Blanchard, and Brantford Marsalis, too. Thank you so much for being with us. Drop us a line, freespeak at wfte.org or ewconundrum at radiofreebrooklyn.org. Until next week, let's try to enjoy this one. Take care.